Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just Stand the Suffering Podcast between New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phelps. I got a good show for you this week. College basketball is back. We're getting ready for the season this week. We're going to do our college basketball preview with Zach Braziller of the New York Post. We're going to talk about the big headlines of college basketball, what the landscape of the season might look like. That's coming up in just a bit. Also, do our week 12 NFL picks. It's Thanksgiving week. Joe D'Aloisio from the Sharp Cheddar Podcast is back. We're going to do our picks, talk a little Packer football, also revisit our overrunners in the preseason and not been a very fruitful one for some of us, so we'll discuss that as well. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of the podcast for our pop culture segment. We're going to do our Mandalorian coverage once again. Episode 4 recap coming your way with pop culture correspondent Santa Rosa. But next, our opening tip. What we have to look forward to in World College Basketball. My thoughts on what's coming up here with the upcoming season right after this. Three, two. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time. College basketball is back. Season's tipping off on Wednesday, and it's wonderful how college who's back. I'm a big college who's guy. I like it better than the NBA. I feel like the intensity of the games is higher. I feel like the quality of play is very interesting. I like that we have so many different rivalries across the sport, so many intense home environments. Watching games played at Cameron Indoor, at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, at Kentucky, at the Pit in New Mexico, all these unique environments, a lot of fun to watch. And last year was a very interesting season that we did not get to finish. Remember the pandemic hit us in March, Right in the middle of the conference tournament week, NCAA tournament was about to have selection Sunday. Then the first weekend was coming up after that. All that went away. We missed out on a very fun NCAA tournament because last year it was wild. There was no clear-cut front runner. We had teams rising number one, falling from number one very quickly. This is very parity-filled. Kansas is probably the favorite. Couldn't guarantee they were actually going to win it. Duke was down. The ACC was down. The Big Ten could have sent up to 12 teams to the NCAA tournament. Michigan State was surging at the end of the year. Dayton, with Obi Toppin, recent Nick draft pick, was having a magical year. San Diego State was the last undefeated team in college basketball. Seton Hall also was having a magical year. Because got to the Final Four for the first time since 1989. We found out none of this. We never will, which is a true shame. This year, though, we are having a season. It's going to happen. And it was going to happen because the NCAA's financial model depends on successful NCAA tournament. Last year, the NCAA tournament basically was non-existent because of the pandemic. They lost out on billions of dollars in revenue. This usually generates $2 billion a year. They don't control college football or college football playoff. That's an independent entity, basically. College basketball, the March Madness model, with the TV contracts across the four networks and the tickets, that generates billions in revenue a year. As the revenue goes to pay for your Olympic sports, like your baseball, your softball, your tennis, your golf, all that fun stuff. 
without an NCAA tournament for the second year in a row, the model collapses. So they're going to do it. Here's some of the things you need to know about this college basketball season. Teams play a minimum of 13 games to qualify for postseason play. Ideally, with four non-conference games. That's a request. That's not a requirement. Obviously, we've seen some teams can have issues with that due to shutdowns from the coronavirus. And this is the big key to see actually here. NCAA rules designate anyone as a Tier 1 member of a program. It's a coach, a player, a staffer, a manager who's in close contact with the players. If one of them tests positive, the entire program shuts down for two weeks. It's not the NFL where, okay, player Z tested positive. Here is three close contacts. They all go into quarantine. Then if the close contact's clear after five days, they're out. Everybody quarantines for two weeks. That's going to wreak havoc on schedule. That will cause multiple games to be canceled. There's a whole section of the Mohegan Sun bubble in Connecticut that is basically getting canceled because all four teams are in shutdowns. A lot of them are having in the Northeast where it's getting close to winter. People are moving indoors. Virus spread more indoors. That's causing problems. A lot of the small leagues are also running into issues like this as well in terms of scheduling because it's not cost-effective to bubble. The MAC league I follow closely had a model set up where they're going to play on Wednesdays and Saturdays, regularly scheduled games. They changed it because of the pandemic. Now they're going to play home series with the programs on Friday nights and Saturdays in one venue. Say, for example, Iona had Manhattan. Iona hosts Manhattan, the men's side. The women's programs go play in Manhattan. This is the kind of model, kind of engineering you need to get through the season. This makes it very interesting if it comes to selections for the NCAA tournament because be a lot of rescheduling on the fly. Teams not going to play an uneven number of games. You could have teams in the same league play 24 games as opposed to 17. Some could play seven non-conference games. Some could play two. You're not going to have this easy form of, oh, here are how you did in quadrant one opportunities. Here's who you schedule because I might have tried to schedule a big game, but somebody on the other team got coronavirus. I couldn't play it. You can't reschedule it. This uncertainty is it challenging to pick the NCAA tournament. It leads to a very interesting setup for March Madness as well because usually it's a cross-country strategy again. You got the first four in Dayton, eight first-round sites, four regionals, Final Four. Not going to happen this year. The entire tournament's going to be held in Indianapolis, Indiana. Has enough venues to stage all these games. Basically, it's going to be a bubble. Go in, don't leave, don't leave until you lose. It's a smart idea. It keeps the tournament safe. Keeps the players safe. Keeps the people working the tournament safe. Enough venues there. Cut the game on TV. Collect the revenue, go from there. It's going to be a different year for the NCAA, but it's going to be more fun. I think also they have a big opportunity here because this is a year where the NBA is delayed, the NHL is delayed, football only plays a couple days a week. College basketball to have a month on it by itself on the national stage where they can stage a bunch of these big non-conference games, play a lot of games, and get the audience back up. And there's some big players coming in. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. We're going to dive deeper into the world of college basketball in just a minute with Zach Brazilla right after this. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Because it's basketball by Mr. Curtis
All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, talking college basketball season. Join me today, somebody I spoke to back in February in the four times before all the craziness happened. Zach Braziller of the New York Post is here. Zach, how are you? What's up, Mike? How are you doing? Doing pretty good, and I have to say it's very interesting for me because I'm a big college basketball guy, but it's sort of weird seeing this comeback attempt to go on right now as the pandemic is surging. What's your thoughts on the sport coming back right now? I mean, it's going to be a going to be strange. There's no doubt you're going to have games canceled frequently. You're seeing it already. You just got to be to me. Uh, if you're a college basketball fan or someone who likes the sport, you just got to just be happy with what you get. I mean, they, they created a 13 game minimum because they they knew this was going to happen. You know, I, you can't just kick punt the season again. You, they we missed the NCAA tournament last year. And they have to do everything they can to, to get to March. And look, they—they've already the NCAA is already basically said we're going into a bubble, even though they use the word controlled environment. They could move the tournament to one area in March, and it's clear that they're going to do everything possible to have a tournament. And that means you're going to go through a probably an ugly regular season. You're going to go. Teams are going to have two, three weeks where they don't play. You know, you're, you're going to have cancellations the day of games. But to me, it's it's important just to try to find a way to get through this year and play a season. I mean, you look at look at all the other sports. College football is trying it. You know, baseball did it. NFL is doing it. NBA is doing it. I understand college is different, but it's still a business, and they they just you know they still need the money, and these kids want to play. So I think he just has to accept it's not going to be anything like a normal season. Yeah, I would agree with that. You brought up the cancellations, obviously, because right now we've seen the first week of the season, we've seen a bunch of games get canceled. A lot of programs are on pause because of positive tests, and football itself has had this spike up in college the last couple of weeks. Do you think this could be a constant problem throughout the season where we're going to see teams like in the middle of conference season go three weeks without playing, and then some teams in the league have 20 games played, some have 14, something like that? Yeah, I think that's probably, you know, what's going to happen. I like. I know the, the one the one reason for optimism that a lot of people have is now that you know we're in, we're really into the holiday break and you're not going to really have kids on campus for the next two months and I do think that is something that will help. I don't know if it's how much of a difference it will make, but I do I do know that that is one reason they're going ahead with this season now is you know waiting till January doesn't doesn't really accomplish anything. You know, it's either we're going to start now or you're going to wait till like March or something. And, and, and you know, the Ricketino idea of being madness, which I don't think is very realistic or something they would, they would consider doing. So I do think there is some optimism that now that kids are, the campuses are basically empty, that maybe these, the, the positives will, will go down and, and it'll, and it'll lessen at least on these campuses. But we'll see. But yeah, it's you're gonna have you're gonna have cancellations. It's just there's just no two ways about it. It's probably you know it's even different from college football because college football you could have some players get positive and they can still play the game because there's so many players on the team and they're not all close contacts. Basketball, everyone's playing you know practicing with each other, and so if someone's positive. Everyone is basically a close contact, and you really can't play. So 
it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take people being really safe, uh, be extra cautious. But I do think we're gonna we're gonna have a season. It's just it's gonna it's gonna be an absolutely fractured year. Yeah, it absolutely is. And right now, I think one of the big things I'm curious about as the season goes forward with the season is obviously, I think the thing I'm curious about is just some of these like top teams that we're going to see this year because the non-conference schedule is so wacky. I think it's going to be so hard to sort of judge these teams in terms of who does what in the non-league schedule because I think so many of these cancellations and rapid games and schedule applies makes it so hard to see who really is the best team. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it's going to be such a different type of season. You're going to have even those fans are very limited amount of fans. You're going to have teams, you know, coming back and practicing for two or three days after a two-week layoff playing a game. It, it's going to be, you know, very, very different. It could lead to some strange results. It could lead to some big surprises. It's, it, it's just going to be... You know, like I said, I just think you have to, as you're a college basketball fan, you just have to enjoy whatever you get and, and kind of almost take that as gravy and just take it day by day. And, and like, if your team plays on a Wednesday, be, be happy for that game and then expect the next game to get canceled. And if you get the next game, be happy for that game. It's, to me, it's just, you just kind of, your, your expectations really just have to be lowered significantly for this year. Yeah, I'm definitely lowering my expectations, but I, am, I do want to talk a little bit about on-the-court stuff, and I do think it's going to be fun. I do think there's a lot of interesting teams this season. Who are some of the top teams you think could make some real noise this year? You know, you have to do the, the typical ones, but you know, I, I think everyone's consensus top three is Villanova, Gonzaga, and Baylor. I, I would agree with that. We went to Villanova number one in our, in our preseason poll at the post. Um, I, I, I think Villanova's really good. They're really, you know, the one thing that Villanova is that they even want their two championship teams. They're really deep. You know, they, they could go nine and ten deep. They have so, you know, so much talent. Like, you obviously have Convalesky at the top, and, you know, and Samuels and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and, and just a ton of guys with so much talent. I mean, I, I think they're, they're going to be super, you know, Baylor is really good. Gonzaga is really good. You know, those are, Kind of the teams that everyone expects. I think Texas Tech is the team that's ranked at Nichols, right around 14, 15, is a team that's going to be very, very tough to beat. They they got their two grad transfers eligible back for Club and Mark, Mark, Marcus Silva Santos. Santos, if you remember that team that made the title game two years ago, that was a team that was kind of built on transfers as well. Uh, that's a team I, I'm, I'm really high on. Um, but it, to me, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of depth. There isn't you know, I picked Nola one, but I mean, I don't think there's a clear-cut favorite going into the season. I don't think there's a clear-cut Final Four favorite, honestly. And when you consider just how wacky the year it's going to be, that could create even more, you know, chaos because of the unpredictable nature. Yeah, I'm definitely here for the chaos. It's going to be a lot of fun if that is the case. And I do think it's also fun to look at in terms of conferences. I mean, last year we saw the Big Ten was potentially getting 12 teams in the tournament. We saw the ACC was down, like, what leagues do you think will be the most fun to keep an eye on this year? You know, I, I would probably go to the Big Ten again. I think the Big Ten is just absurdly deep and really good at the top. Rutgers is to be as a top twenty team. Illinois is a top ten team. Wisconsin is very good. Michigan State will be good. The league is the league is just absurdly deep. It's 
you know, Iowa's really good, the national player of the year, regardless the heavy favorite to win that award. And this league is just going to be murderous, bro. Um, I think the Big 12 is, is very, very good. Kansas has a terrific perimeter. I mentioned Texas Tech. Um, you know, you have Oklahoma State's going to be dangerous with those, you know, the, the player everyone says will be the number one pick next year's draft case. How do you know they're, they're not eligible for coaches to play? You know, my, my two, my two clear, the two clear to be best, best conference in the country will be the Big 12 and, and the Big 10. I think the Big East will be good. I don't think it'll be good. It won't be quite as good as it was last year. It's not at the top. Although I think the potential to have six or seven teams in the tournament is there. When you factor in the, you know, teams like in the bottom of those six or seven, St. John's, maybe St. Paul's, Providence. So I think the Big East will clearly be very good. I'm not really sure what to make of the ACC. I, I got to see it from Carolina. They were so disappointing last year. Now they're depending a lot on some young guys and freshmen. So I'm not, I'm not sold on North Carolina. They're probably a top 25 team, but I, I still have to see it. Duke is going to be good. They have a lot of good freshmen, but they're still, they're not, this isn't like Ryan Williams and RJ Barrett type freshmen. They're good freshmen. So I think Duke is good. I don't think they're, I don't think they're elite. Team, I don't think they're a top five team. Uh, I think Virginia is probably the class of that conference when you consider what they bring back, what they add with, with Sam Hauser. I can see them being a, a, a legit national title contender. But to me, there's, there's a lot of depth there. You know, if you look around the country, there's there are so many good teams. I just just hope we get some kind of a representative season to really to really see it. Yeah, for sure. Let's do a little local flavor. We'll start with Rutgers, he brought up. I mean, last year, they we're probably going to make the tournament for the first time since 1991. Steve Peichel's done a great job down there. Obviously, most of their games they won were at the rack, and it's going to be tough for them without the fans here. But what do you think the landmark is should be for Rutgers this year? I mean, the base was the tournament. I mean, the team that was making the tournament last year, they returned almost everyone. They add a very, very good freshman. Um, I... I think this team will make the tournament. I think they'll finish top four in the Big Ten, and I think they'll probably win a game in the tournament. You know, they, they don't have the, the home advantage of the rack, but they're going to look at the other way. They struggled on the road, because now they won't be dealing with fans on the road. So while the home court advantage might be less, the, the road court disadvantage will be less as well. Um, I, I'm really honored that they play terrific defensively. Geo Baker is a great Late game shot maker. I think Ron Harper Jr. is a guy who's going to only get better. Um, I think Montez Mathis is, is a guy that, that people really don't talk about, you know, but he's a such an, he's an athletic defender. He's a guy to me that has more offensive ability than we've seen. He's now going to be a junior. I, I really, really like him. I think the team's really good. I ranked them 21 in our preseason poll. I, I think they're a legit top 20 team. It's, you know, I, I was talking to Rutgers earlier today. It, it stinks for them because you know you wait so long to have a team like this, and now you know you're not going to look good at games. But it's it's going to be a really fun team to watch. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of their talent. I'm a big fan of their culture. I love how hard they play. I love how they how they defend. You know, the one question is well, they they weren't great offensively last year. You know, Baker kind of bailed them out a lot late games. You know, they only shot 31 percent from three of the team. So, but I do think they will get better off. I mean, just because of everything they bring back, it's almost hard not to be. And there are high hopes for Cliff Amaruji, the four-star forward from Jersey that that um, 
they added. So to me, there's if you're a Rutgers fan, there's nothing but hope and excitement for the season. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stay in the state with Seton Hall. Obviously, they were another one who got robbed last year. This team could have gone to the Final Four. Now, Miles Powell and Romero Gill graduate off the NBA. What expectations do you think we should have for Seton Hall this year? I think they're a tournament team. You know, uh, we, in today's paper, we have our whole preview on everything road. I, you know, I think this program has reached the point where they're not about one player. You know, um, two years ago, they lost all those seniors, uh, Desi Rodriguez. Pete Carrington, Angel Delgado, and people thought they were going to go into a rebuild. They were NIT team. And then Miles Powell developed into a superstar. They made the tournament, and then last year they, they shared the lead crown. I think they're going to be very, they think they're going to be good. They're not going to be as good as last year. There's no replacing, you know, they can't replace Gill or Powell or, or Quincy McKnight. But I think Sandra Mamukulash, really, which is quite a last name, obviously, <laughs> is, uh, I think he's going to be one of the best forwards in the country. He's 6'11. Super athlete, super versatile. He's a they they fully coaches picked him to the first team in the preseason. He's he's a guy that's got all the talent in the world. It's just about now he's got to kind of have a have a take charge mentality. He's got to be corrected. He can't kind of see the spotlight. But I'm high on him. They they added one of the best grab transfer guards in the country in, in Bryce Aiken. They have some other very good pieces. I, I think they're a team that will finish top five in the Big East and they could afford it. I just think that this program's got to this point with Willard where they don't rebuild, they, they reload. And I think they're going to be very, very, I think they're going to be a good team this year. Yeah, another Big East program. I also want to give a shout-out to a friend of the podcast, Troy Moriello. He, you talked to him on the Seeing Red podcast about St. John's. What do you think about the Red Storm this year? You know, to me, it's a real hard team to, to, to kind of predict. I could see them being better than expectations to make the tournament. I could see them be worse than being a free gen IT team. It's, it's really, it's a hard team to assess because you lose LJ Figueroa, your leading scorer, who didn't have a great year last year. There are a lot of questions. Who's going to be the go-to guy? But there is a ton of depth. Everyone loves the freshman point guard, Tosh Alexander. I'd be stunned if he's not starting. Um, junior college forward, Isaiah Boyd, looks phenomenal. He looks like another Tariq Owens. They have a decent amount of guys returning, like Greg Williams and Julian Champetti and Marcellus Erlington and Josh Roberts. I think they have a roster better fit for Mike Anderson's style. I think their depth is going to be really important, especially this year, where there are going to be times where you're playing a ton of games, where you're playing four games in a week. And I think that's a huge advantage they have on our team. And now, kind of like Rutgers, you know, they, they developed a really good home court advantage last year at current second. Now that's going to be gone. But they also struggled on the road. But now that they're not going to have that same adversity on the road because they will be playing in front of fans and very, very, you know, few amount of them. But it, the big question, but my big question though is just who's going to be the, you know, do they have a guy they could look to when other guys that wouldn't win, you know, on the road in a tough spots? Do they have someone who's going to get you 20? I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, you know, they, Mike Anderson, Jason, doesn't think it's a, he would need that. He likes the idea of having a bunch of different options. It's there are questions. Are the, are the are the newcomers ready to make an impact right away? Are the guys who are back ready to take the next step? We don't know that. So it's, it's a team that I really I, I, I have a hard time kind of pegging to be honest. 
Yeah, they are. Two, two more teams in the local area I want to get to. I was one number one, UConn coming back to the Big East after the seven-year run in the American. I think they're going to be a team that can get to the tournament in this league. I think it's also good for the Big East to have UConn back. Yeah, I, I personally, I mean, it, it enhances the brand. It's great for UConn, clearly. You really see their recruiting explode coming back to the Big East. I think they're a tournament team. I think they'll finish top five in the league. I do think it they could start slow, though. You know, they're coming from the American. They're, they're asking a lot of freshmen and young guys. The, the talent level they're facing is going to be way up. So I do think there is a transition and an adjustment they have to make. I don't think there's any question. The Big East is much better than the American. But I do think this is a team that will find itself. You know, they you, you also look at guys, ACOC, ACOC, they're, they're big. Uh, forward will be back. He would think around January, maybe early February. He'll help. Um, RJ Cole, uh, who sat out last year, is a terrific guard. He'll, he'll produce. You know, um, James McKnight is someone who people think has NBA potential. They have a ton of talent. They're really big inside. They have that I, you know, I think it's it's something that's going to be great for the league and great for the school. I I, I think they should have a good year. And, and I think they're only going to get better in the years to come. Yeah, they'll be fun to watch. And the last one, obviously, I think the big story in this area, Rick Patino coming to Iona, looking to jumpstart that program after they had a down year a year ago. So what do you think about Patino's chances of making something interesting happen to Iona in his first year? I mean, look, it's going to be fascinating to watch, no doubt about it. Now, they returned three players. They had a million new guys. Then they went into a, you know, 14-day COVID pause that I think they're supposed to return some point at the end of this week. So I do think people's expectations at the beginning have to be low. But it's not like he's in the Big East. He's in the back. I'm sure by March he'll have his team. He'll have them playing really good basketball. I'm sure there'll be a threat to, to win that conference tournament. I have no doubt. I, I went through a, through a day of their workouts. I mean, guy, he's so invested, he's so focused, he's so detail-oriented. I mean, the guy is a Hall of Fame coach. It's, it's great for the back, it's great for the area. I'm, I'm excited to, to, to see him live and see him coach. It's, you know, it's going to be it's gonna be really interesting just to see what happens there over the next, this year and obviously in the years to come. Yeah, it's also kind of funny how, like, sort of similar to Rutgers and the team is good. Now Iona fans get a Hall of Fame coach coming and now they can't go see him because of the COVID restrictions. Yeah, I mean it's just uh, it's just the sad reality of this year, you know. It's just gotta everyone's just gotta have just accept it. Just be be happy with you know watch the games on TV and be happy the games will be played and be happy with whatever we get. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely take that approach, uh, Zach. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can you follow social media and keep up with all the college basketball content that's being put out in the New York Post. Okay, it's uh, it's the Brazil, it's NY Post, so it's NY Post underscore Z Brazil. Z-B-R-A-Z-I-L-L-E. Okay. Thanks, Zach. And also be sure to check out all the great college basketball preview content I've been reading it the last couple of days. It's a lot of great stuff. Zach, thanks again. Thanks, man. Have a good one. All right. There you have it. That was Zach Braziller of the New York Post talking college basketball. Up next, we're going to do our NFL picks with Joe D'Aloisio right after this. Show me the money. All 
All right, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 12 are here. Thanksgiving week is here, and the Thanksgiving tradition now on the podcast. We bring in this guy to talk about his Green Bay Packers and the NFL. Joe Dalvizio is here. Joe, how are you? Mike, I am doing well. Happy early Thanksgiving. Always a pleasure to be on the Just End the Suffering podcast. It is a pleasure, and I have to admit, I'm a bit surprised we've gotten this far into the season with, like, no games, like, canceled outright at this point. We've had a few postponed, but we've actually gotten pretty far in without any major issues. See, there's a little bit of me that's surprised, and then the other bit of me that's not too surprised with this just because of the NFL and who they are and what they and what they do. I mean, if there was any league that somehow, some way kind of got lucky when it came to COVID, I would say it's been the NFL, just because of the timing of everything, right? Yeah, you didn't have preseason. Training camp was weird. The draft was virtual. But you weren't in season. So that kind of allowed the people behind the scenes to probably really think this out. Come up with the protocols that are going to work. Have they been working? It depends on who you ask. Our team's getting uh, positive cases. Of course, that's inevitable. But I think the bottom line is the NFL is going to do whatever they can do um, to get through the season and not have to uh, extend it a couple extra weeks on the back end um, and include a couple extra playoff teams. They're going to they're going to push through it, and I think that's been pretty obvious with the way that they've they've handled um, teams shutting down. And if would they play the the following week or that same week? Uh, we saw it with the Green Bay Packers and the Forty ers that game went on. The 49ers, I mean, injuries aside, um, basically had a, uh, a third-quarter preseason team on the field. So I, I think uh, Roger Goodell and company are going to do whatever they can. They made it this far to continue to just keep pushing through it. That's why, for me as a Jet fan, not bother as much because if there's a year for my team to be completely out of it and be 0-16 in the running for Trevor Lawrence, it's this year where nothing is going to be normal. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Are you are you all on board? Owen sixteen is this team that bad that Owen sixteen? You know, we could we could we could pencil that in right now. They are that bad. I think they are going Owen sixteen. They're not going to win a single game. Look at their schedule. Where is the win coming from? Uh, maybe New England. You think Bill's going to sit there and his team having a chance to give the Jets the loss to go Owen sixteen is not going to take advantage of it? No, I, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think so. I think Bill Belichick is going to make sure that that doesn't happen. But yeah. with that being said, I mean there is a chance. So you watch. Let me let me ask you another question, Mike. You yeah. watch every game hoping for a loss at this point. What do I gain from watching Joe Flacco win a football game? No, you're right. That just sounds miserable. I would never <laughs> want to watch my football team. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I just need to get into the mindset of a person who unfortunately roots for a terrible football organization. Luckily for me, I, I have the, I, I've been spoiled, so I, I don't know what that feels like. So I'm just trying to get inside the psyche here. Yeah, because I need to get rid of my terrible football coach. I need to get like somebody in here who can actually coach the football team, and then we have a chance to a generational quarterback prospect, and you got to take it. Okay, okay. This is the last question because I know you brought me on to, to interview me, but since you got you went there, you're, you're completely done with Sam Darn. If Trevor Lawrence is there, you take Trevor Lawrence? I do, because if you look at Sam, I mean, he's good, and he's shown you flashes, but, like, the mistakes are not improving from year one to year three. I know part of that is coaching. At the same time, he's not making the right reads. He's making terrible decisions at times. He'll throw make those incredible plays. That's why you say, wow, he really could be something, and then he'll make those dumb decisions that you shouldn't be making year three. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I run away from Sam Darnold. I think he's been really given an, an unfair 
hand here with between coaching, lack of talent around him. I mean, I could see Sam Darnold ending up going to a team like Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger retires, and he wins the Super Bowl before the Jets make the playoffs. I could, too. There's also the mechanics of the NFL with the contracts for the quarterbacks. It's like, are you paying Sam right now? Because you have to pay Sam in two years. You want to keep him. I know. You have to pay him in two years. But I think you got to give him a shot with, with hopefully whoever that next quarterback is. And you get some talent around him. I think if, you're, if you end up at number one, you could get a haul for that pick. Everybody kind of wants Trevor Lawrence. He's made out to be this generational quarterback. No guarantee, though, if he will become that generational quarterback. With that being said, you trade out of that spot, you are setting yourself up real pretty for the next four or five years in terms of drafting. And now it just comes down to picking the right guys, which listen, isn't an easy thing, but if you do it, you could be a very good football team for a very good for a very long time. I would also say that as well. It's just look, you look at where they are. They do have extra picks already because of the Jamal trade, and they can get more doing that. But I, I would not want to be that guy who said I had a chance to take Trevor Lawrence and I did not end up becoming like the next like John Elway. Yeah, I, I understand that, but it's also it's not a guarantee. You could end up somebody could end up picking Trevor Lawrence and it doesn't work out. It's, that's all not a guarantee that Sam Darnold becomes what we think he could be in the right situation because that situation may not be here. You're right. You're right. There's risks and benefits for, for both sides of this. I just personally think you're running away from Sam Darnold. You never gave him enough talent. He's been at, he's had to deal with terrible coaching since he got into the NFL. Give him one more year. Give him one more year, and if he sucks again, you're going to end up picking in the top in the top already. And if there's no quarterback, generational quarterback, and I say that in air quotes like Trevor Lawrence, you have enough draft arsenal where you can make a blockbuster trade and snag somebody's potential next guy. Yeah, I also think the key also remember this here is that Joe Douglas not draft Sam Darnold. He's not wedded to him. So I think if he has a chance to get his guy, he'll get his guy. Fair point. Fair point. All right, let's go to your Packers for a minute. And obviously they played the game against the Colts on Sunday. They up 28-14 at the half. We had the, the defense kind of collapse down the stretch. Rodgers has the great drive to kick the field goal. MVS's fumble in overtime ends up costing them the game. So your takeaway from that game as a whole. All right, so a couple things there. Let's start with the latter, MVS fumbling, costing the game. Listen, did MVS fumble the ball? Did he make a mistake when it mattered at the most opportune time, the worst possible time? Yes, there is no denying that MVS made a mistake. It happens. With that being said, if it wasn't for MVS making that play, catching the ball to get them into that position, okay, they would have never been in, in, in overtime to set them up for infield goal range. Secondly, with MVS, if he doesn't draw that pass interference at the end of the half, the Packers don't score and take a commanding lead at halftime. So putting this all on MVS or a lot of this on MVS, I don't think that's fair. And I'll, I'll go a step further for all the jabronis. Yes, I use the word jabronis that are, that are out there on Twitter right now, tweeting at MVS, sending him death threats, sending him vitriol and hate and spewing disgusting things. Shame on all of you. Okay, that is, there's no place. That's why Twitter is accessible sometimes. It's so good for, for certain things. For instances like this, it's an absolute disgrace the way some people think they could talk to others. Um, MVS has been playing a lot better, okay? It's easy to point fingers at him, but you can't put this game on him. 
All right, this game was dominated by the Green Bay Packers in the first 30 minutes, dominated by them. What happened in that second half was an utter collapse and a great job by Frank Reich adjusting, making the proper adjustments, keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field, getting Green Bay's defense tired. Yes, the defense gave, gave up some points at the end. But if you really think about it, there were a lot of times where the Colts, especially in that third quarter, settled for three points. They weren't putting up seven. All right? So the defense, yeah, they bent a little bit. The offense never was able to get back onto the field and get any rhythm until that final drive to get them into overtime. Yeah, that's true. It's a lot of different problems going on there right now with the Packers situation. But they're right in the mix. They're on top of the NFC North. Do you think this team has enough to get out of the NFC and go to the Super Bowl? Because I feel like I'm waffling back and forth with this team. I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Mike. I'm going back and forth. But I think we learned a lot about this team with this loss. Um, not that it, I, I wouldn't consider this a, a good loss because there's no such thing as a good loss. But there was a lot, to, a lot of good to take away from this. Uh, the one thing that benefits the Packers in the NFC is I think the NFC at, at, overall as a conference is a complete crapshoot. Um, anything can happen any any given Sunday, really, with the NFC. Whereas in the AFC, I feel like it's the Chiefs and it's everybody else. Here, you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of the Saints because of Drew Brees now, his injuries. You We've seen the inconsistencies with Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. What are we going to get out of the NFC, um, the NFC West? We have three top-heavy teams there. Seattle's defense stinks. We've seen Russell Wilson make mistakes, and what happens there? Can you trust the Arizona and, and Kyler Murray? All right, are the Rams legit? I think there's just way too many questions for the NFC. That of course you got to you got to consider the Green Bay Packers contenders uh, for the NFC. Yeah, they definitely are. And this week, they got a fun Sunday night game. They get the struggling Chicago Bears. You don't know who's the quarterback for the Bears yet, but what are your keys to victory in this game? I mean, I think it's pretty simple. This is, you're going up against a bad Bears team. Good teams beat bad teams. All right? Um, it, it always it always starts with, with, the, with the captain. It always starts with the guy under center, and that's Aaron Rodgers, who's been having a, a phenomenal season. And as long as they protect Aaron Rodgers the way that they have been protecting Aaron Rodgers, this offense is really special. I mean, we got a glimpse of it in the first half, right, of, of, this, of last week's game against Indianapolis. When this team is at full strength, they move the ball very well. I mean, they scored 28 points. There were several times in that first half against the Colts where they didn't, where they, they failed to execute properly, which could have led to anywhere between 35 and 42 points in the first half. I mean, that, that's phenomenal. There's not many teams in the NFL that could do that. Yeah, definitely some fun. Before we get to the picks, I want to talk about our over-unders. We did this before the season, and again, we had some fun with this. We were not sure if, if all the bets would count because we had 16 games coming in the mix here. As you have to play 16. So far, it's like all that will be happening to cash, but let's go over these. Does that sound good to you? Oh, yeah. Let me hear because I'm going to be honest with you. There's a couple I forgot about. There's a couple I still remember, so let me hear where, where we're at. Okay, I do. I did the research last night. I went back. I listened to the podcast that we were on this. I wrote them down. I also looked at the records of the teams right now. So we'll start with me. So I had the Buffalo Bills over eight and a half. They are currently six and three. I feel good about that one. Okay. I have the Patriots under nine and a half. They are currently four and six. So one more loss there gets the job done. Okay, you're right there. The Falcons over seven and a half at three and seven. I don't think I'm getting that one. 
Uh, that's not going to happen, I don't think. This one's gotten more annoying because the division's so terrible. I have Washington under five, and they're currently three and seven. Ooh, that's going to be a real. That's this this Thursday's game, Thanksgiving against the Dallas against Dallas, may end up playing a huge role in that number for you. Yes, it is. I have a, I have a, I have a fear the push is coming in that one. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Yeah, I can see that coming. This one I feel great about the Titans over eight and a half. They're currently seven and three, so I'm in great shape there. And what else do you got? Last but not least, this one I don't think I'm going to win. I have the Rams under eight and a half. They're six and three going to the Monday night game, so I still think they'll find three more wins in their schedule. So I'm going to lose that one. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I to be honest with you, you I think you're shooting pr- very pretty though, Mike. Overall, yeah, I think I got three. I feel very good about, and one I can I can still get Washington. I don't think I'm getting Falcons or the Rams. Uh, I think I think you're sitting real well with those. Where am I at? Okay, we'll get to, get to yours here, and it's not quite as good as mine was. God damn it! Yeah, this one you I think you'll get. You have the, the Carolina Panthers over five and a half. They are currently four and seven, but two more wins should get the job done. I think so. I feel very confident about that. This one you have a loss on the board already. You took the Dallas Cowboys over nine and a half. Dak Prescott didn't hurt hurt you, but I mean they were not playing well even with him. Yeah, you know what? I was so, I was so disappointed in this one. Now that I think about it, and I knew it was coming, and me along with every other, um, you know, I'm not going to include myself in, in the media bunch, but a lot of people had the Dallas Cowboys representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. That we are certainly nowhere near that right now, and I don't think people realize how terrible this defense was because when Dak was there, the offense was pretty explosive. I mean, the weapons are there. Yeah, but. Defensively, woof, are they terrible? Yeah, it was not not pretty, not good there. And I will say, like Jim Trotter from, from NFL Network, actually on the podcast back and forth the season, actually had the Cowboys in, as a Super Bowl contender as well. So, yeah, I, I, yes, uh, I don't blame him. I, I see where he, his thought process was. I was the same way. Yeah, this one's gonna come down to the wire because the win they picked up yesterday will help you a lot. You had the Broncos over seven and a half. They're currently four and seven. Okay, over seven and a half. This one, like you said, is definitely going to come down to the final stretch here. It definitely is. But, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to get there. Yeah, especially. They're at, they're at what? They're at four right now. They need to go four and one down the stretch. Yeah, no, it's, it, we're, we're not getting there. I mean, they, they welcome the Saints uh, this upcoming week on Sunday, which you never know because it's not Drew Brees. How will Taysom Hill and James Winston play on the road? I kind of like the, the, the Broncos in that setting. They're not beating the Chiefs. No. Uh, they got a shot against the Panthers. The only thing is they're on the road for that game. They still have to play Buffalo, the Chargers, and the Raiders. I don't think it's happening. Yeah, this one's also... I've, I've, I've mentally put an X for that one. Okay. I put an X on this one too. You got the Browns under eight and a half. They are currently seven and three. Oh, dude, I am so wrong about the Browns this year. Yeah, and, and I, I'm actually finally, uh, finally happy that I'm wrong about the Browns. Um, but they they figured it out somehow with the one-two punch with Kareem Hunt and, and Nick Chubb, and their defense is solid. Yeah, it is, and I do think I, part of this also is that they play. I think the easiest schedule in the history of football to this point. They have like one yeah. win over a winning team all season. You 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 don't create the schedule. You take your schedule. So whoever's on it, you play them. That's it. That's simple. Yeah, because I mean they might get to eleven. If you look at who they have left, they still have another. They still have the two games against the NFC East. They still have the Jets on the schedule. They're going to get there. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. 
This one is trending in the right direction for you. Did not start that way. The Bears under eight. They are currently 500. Okay, let me tell you something. I really think I'm going to hit this one. Yeah. And the one of the main reasons is the Bears have to still play the uh, play the Packers twice. Now, outside of that, they got the Texans, the Lions, the Jags, the Vikings, and the Jags. All right. So yeah, there's a shot there. But who the hell knows who's going to be playing quarterback for either the Bears or the Jags on that, you know, December 27th matchup. Uh, the Vikings, the, you know, the Vikings at home, I think it, it, in that in that game, man, that, that's a toss-up too. You know, we just saw the we, – we saw the Vikings already beat them once in Chicago. I think they can easily beat them again on the road. Yeah, that's, that's trending the correct direction for you. I think they are playing worse, and the quarterback situation is getting worse. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, now we're starting to finally see the true colors for the Chicago Bears, considering their great start, which was a complete farce and so fake and so unreal and so unrealistic. So, you know, it feels good to see the Bears again smack with, well, in the face with a little bit of reality here. Yeah, and also I think like we haven't. Not, I don't think either of us picked this game this week, but they are late, they are seven and a half point underdogs. The Packers. I think the Packers going to cover that number. Oh, I, I think so too. There's no reason why they shouldn't cover that number. Yeah, especially especially Sunday night at home in Green Bay. Now, granted, no fans in in attendance, which I think has been hurting Green Bay. To be honest with you, with the home field advantage. But besides the point, that should be a, a runaway ten plus points for for sure for the Packers. Yeah, we might even get Mitch Trubisky back if he's healthy. Oh, that would be great. I would take <laughs> Mitch Trubisky back in a heartbeat. All right. And this last one you had, I think the last two weeks have really hurt you here with them. The Colts under nine, because if they drop those two games to Tennessee and Green Bay, they're five and four. Now they're seven and three. They probably at least push the number. Yeah, you know what? At this point, I, I really didn't expect the Colts to be as dominant as, they, as they've been uh, all season, especially defensively. I think the biggest change, though, has also been from, from Phillip Rivers. Uh, yeah, he's still making mistakes, but he's been pretty, pretty, pretty good over the last four or five weeks when this team has been winning, winning big. And the crazy thing is they're one, one of their losses to the Jaguars. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. One of their losses is to the Jaguars. They ended up losing to the Browns too earlier in the year. Um, but let me tell you, it's pretty obvious though that loss against the Jaguars in week one, they're definitely a different team. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see, they they see the Jags at the end of the season. The Jags might as well not show up and just take the take the loss at that point. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the Jags more in the coming weeks. But we're gonna do the picks, which is why you're here. So I think it's gonna be a fun, a tight race down the stretch. I think I have a slight light edge up here on that sandwich. Yeah, if if, if I were you, I'd be feeling uh, very comfortable right now. I'm starting to get my sandwich order ready. Good, <laughs> good, good. Just just remember, only one sandwich. I am getting you can't, a, you can't get a, a sandwich. Did we did we decide? Is it a, a sandwich on a roll on a hero, or is it a well, well, buyer's choice? I think it's. I think we go with buyer's choice. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. No problem. Yeah, no problem. Does right. that mean I'll actually see you on, in person, or does it? Or am I delivering this to you? I think we'll be an in person eventually. It might be up to the powers that be in certain other areas. I'm not going to get into right now on the podcast, but it oh, could. Okay. It could, some, it could be sooner. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. And for the audience at home, we are going to be social distancing and wearing masks. Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the picks, the reason you're here. Our good buddy Troy Moriello was here last week. He went 3-0 and on the week. Wow. Look at Troy. Proud of him. Yeah. Troy took how, the – Yeah. Go ahead. How did you do? Well, let me tell you who Troy picked first. Okay. 
Troy had the Browns laying three against the Eagles. They won that game despite their best efforts to give it away at the end. You had the Saints laying the four and a half at home against the Falcons. Taysom Hill did the job there. You had the Broncos getting three and a half against the Dolphins. They won the game outright. So three and zero for Troy. Wow. Well, it sounds like we're gonna get, you're going to hear a lot of the same teams from me. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. I, on the other hand, I did not have as good a week for the first time all season. I went zero and three, and it was not pretty. Uh-uh. Okay. Nope. 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 Can you play that sounder again? Because I also went out in three yeah. this past week. Sure. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Nope. 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 Okay, so that's a pair of 0-3s last week from me and Joe on our perspective podcast. But my picks were I took the Chiefs laying the six and a half on Sunday Night Football. That game was a lot closer than I thought it would be. I had the Chargers laying the eight and a half against the Jets. I was good there until the Chargers decided to Chargers it up at the end and you know, try and give the game away to the Jets. Typical Chargers game there. Yeah. Yeah, because I felt very good that game. They were up like 21 to 6 early, and it was feeling good. And then the Jets all of a sudden came out at halftime and then started throwing bombs and hitting them. And then they had that drive at the end where they were trying to win it. Not great. They did, they did exactly what they've been doing all season long, choking games up at the end. Yep. And Damn shame because they got a franchise quarterback there. They do. He's really good. And last but not least, you're going to be happy. I took your Packers again last week. I took them getting the two and a half against the Colts, and they blew. And we know we're going over that one. Let me tell you something. You got to stop taking the Packers. I am two, two times now that you yeah, oh. two times you take the Packers and they they've lost both games this season. The third time enough. I don't. I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen to the podcast again if I know you're you're taking the you're taking the Packers. You're, you may be the kiss of death here. Yeah, I felt very good about that. I'm like Rogers on the road getting points. Like that's great. Yeah, that's great. Didn't work out. Should have worked out, but it didn't work out. It did not work out, but but on the year, here are the standings. The Challengers are 19, 13, and 1. There's a one push in there thanks to Kevin Walsh and the Browns a couple of weeks back. I am 21 and 12, so it has really tightened the last, last week. Wow, look at that. Uh, you sure you want me to get my picks? Because I'm, I'm 16 and 17 on the year right now. Yeah, with I, three picks every single week. Hey, you're doing the, the Challengers doing their, are their, holding their weight up this year. I don't think they've had one winless league yet. Fuck. <sighs> Thanks for that one because you just put the jinx on. Here comes the first one, but uh, you know I'm hoping I could uh, back Troy up with his three in a week. All right, let's go ahead. Let's get to those picks, Joe. You are up first as the guest. Where are you going with your first pick? All right, I'm, I am taking the Browns minus six and a half on the road against the Jags. All right. First of all, we just talked about the Browns for a little bit. Seven win team, great one two punch with Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt. They control the time of possession there, keep opposing teams on the field. Well, who are they playing? They're playing the Jags. This team's atrocious. All right? Who knows if Jake Luton's going to start because he's been that bad for this team? With that being said, how bad is Mike Glennon that they gave Jake Luton a shot before him? So I feel comfortable taking the Browns minus six and a half on the road for my first pick. Hey, it's under a touchdown. I don't, I don't, this carries the pick at all. The Jags have been feisty a couple of games, but the Browns are a bully team. The Browns beat up on these bad teams. They're going to do the same to the Jags. I like that pick. Number two, I am going with the Giants. Yes, the, the, the dreadful Giants minus four and a half against the Cincinnati Bengals. I would have never touched this game 
if Joe Burrow was still playing. But of course, the news is out. We saw the devastating injury uh, this past Sunday against Washington. He is out for the year torn ACL, MCL. So I feel comfortable now that the Giants will be able to beat the Bengals by at least five points here um, with with Finley leading the way for the Cincinnati Bengals. So give me the Giants minus four and a half. Yeah, that's one. If the Bengals had a capable backup, I would probably go that way. I'd say, you know what, the Giants are going on the road being favored. I don't trust that. But Ryan Finley looked awful yesterday against the Washington defense. He's not that great. I mean, they got 17 yards that he took over the game. So the Giants should find a way to win this game. May not Absolutely. cover, but I think they are going to win. Exactly. And then finally, I am taking the Broncos at home, plus five and a half against the Saints. Listen. I don't know how I feel about Drew Locke yet. Uh, I don't think he's anything special, but there's something special about him. I don't know if it's his swagger, his attitude. I don't know what it is, but I kind of like what he's been able to do for this Denver Broncos team. With that being said, I'm a little concerned with the with the Saints going on the road with Taysom Hill as their quarterback, possibly Jameis Winston. Who knows? Who knows what the weather is going to be like in Denver? I'm giving the edge to the Broncos. I don't think they win this game. But I think it'll be close. All right. Your, your picks on the board, Myra. Pick number one, I'm going directly against that pick. I'm taking the Saints laying the five and a half in that game because I think that this is a much better team than the Miami one they faced on Sunday. And this is one where Sean Payton will look at his guy and say, see, you can't just throw your helmets on the field against the Broncos. You have to go out there and play this game. Taysom Hill played well in this game. They're a good running attack. Denver has trouble stopping the run. There'll be a lot of Alvin Kamara, a lot of creativity on the offense. Five and a half is manageable. It's tricky on the road, but I think they'll win this game by a touchdown. The Saints defense also outstanding. They will do a good job keeping down the Bronco attack. Give me the Saints laying the five and a half. Pick one. It's a little head-to-head action there. I'm taking that one. <laughs> All right. Pick number two. I am going to the pick against the Jets well again. We'll see if this works this week. I'm taking the Dolphins laying the six and a half on the road on the road here. These two teams played back in week six. Miami won 24 nothing. I think the difference is not going to be that much. Joe Flacco played that game, couldn't do much. Denzel Mims is healthy, that helps, but the Dolphins are a good football team. I think this is going to be one where they got a wake up call by going to Denver and struggling. And I feel like Flores did a good job there getting Fitzpatrick in that game to show two ahead. You have to be smarter than this. The Jets don't have the kind of pass rush that Denver had. They're not going to be able to put pressure on Tua. The, J- the Jets are going to have a game where they'll probably be a little feisty in the beginning, but they're going to end up getting out adjusted in the second half, lose this game. Give the Dolphins laying the six and a half pick, too. Yeah, I'm a little nervous with that one just because I don't know what the hell the Dolphins are doing in terms of quarterback. Taking, I know Tua got injured. You saw Ryan Fitzpatrick there. So that kind of got me a little nervous. Yeah, but then again, you also look at the Jets' secondary, see who they're starting this game. They're going to have you guys wide open all over that football field. Again, it's the Jets. <laughs> All right, pick number three. I wanted a dog this week. I'm going to Thanksgiving. I'm going to take the Lions at home, getting two and a half points against the Houston Texans. Because the te- oh, God. The Texans, I don't trust them. I don't think they're that good. And I think Wings of the Patriots was nice. But, again, short week on the road, Thanksgiving. Lions will be up for this game. I think they'll be more competitive than people think. It feels like the random kind of game that Matt Patricia's team will win. So... Give me the Lions getting the points on Thanksgiving pick three. That's about the only thing that you could really say because this is a Lions team that just lost to the Panthers 20 to nothing against a starting quarterback who is just starting in the XFL. So I'll leave that. I'll leave it <laughs> at that. 
All right, so to reset the picks here, Joe's going with the Browns laying six and a half against the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road. The, the Giants laying four and a half on the road against the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Denver Broncos getting five and a half at home against the Saints. I'm laying the five and a half with the Saints against the Broncos that game. I'm taking the Dolphins, laying the six and a half at home against, I mean, and in New York against the Jets. And the Detroit Lions getting two and a half at home on Thanksgiving. And those are your picks for week number 12 on the Just End the Suffering podcast. And we talked a lot of Jaguar football this week. Next week, our picks guest here is going to be Xander Rose. We're talking about the Jags. And we'll have a conversation about whose team is more likely to get that number one pick. Oh, it'll be, uh, it'll be a coin flip, but I think they're both right in the running. Yeah, they absolutely are. And I think it's going to be very interesting because these two teams, there's a lot going on here. A lot of bad football, that's for sure. Yeah, between the two of us, one win since January. That's impressive. you got to be pretty bad to pull that off. Yeah, plus we have to discuss the question of are they actually tanking here because there's no reason Jake Luton should be playing. Oh, absolutely. There's absolutely no reason for him to be playing. He has put up atrocious numbers. Again, are they actually tanking or is Mike Glennon that bad? I have a hard time believing Mike Glennon's that bad, but gosh. Yeah, but this... I, no matter what way people slice it, these two teams are going to be one and two in the draft next year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Hopefully they get it right then. Who knows, though? Yeah, who knows? Joe, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow on social media and keep up with the Sharp Cheddar podcast. All right, Mike. Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Joe double underscore D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. Sharp Cheddar podcast. Two episodes a week. We have the preview episode towards the later end of the week where I preview the opponent. I like to get a uh, a writer, a guest, an, in, uh, an insider from the opposing team to join me to let my audience know everything they need to know about uh, the upcoming opponent. And then, of course, we have the recap episode where I sit down and I, uh, I like I give you my thoughts, my what was good, what was bad, and we we look ahead. We look ahead and we try to stay optimistic despite coming off the loss here against the Colts. So that that episode should be releasing relatively soon. Yeah. Yeah, and also go back in the archives. Joe actually had a member of the Packers on the podcast as well. Yes, I, I was fortunate enough to have a backup quarterback, Tim Boyle, as my first current Packer on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I got excited, actually, uh, yesterday during overtime in the coin flip when the Packers decided to uh, send out Tim Boyle for that flip. And, of course, tails never fails, and they won the, they won the toss. I, I was I was ready to open up my monologue with, a, with an ode to Tim Boyle, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Yeah, you always got to shout out the friends of the podcast. Oh, of course, of course. All right, Joe. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Mike, anytime. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and don't eat too much turkey. Yep. And again, follow Joe on t- on Twitter. It's Joe double underscore. Do not forget the double. You won't find him. D-A- don't, par- don't forget it. D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. Up next, we're going to do our weekly Mandalorian recap. I'm going to be joined by Sam DeRosa right after this. Here, 
talking Mandalorian Chapter 12, The Siege. After joining us today, our pop culture correspondent, we just referenced her a bit in the pick segment, Sandra Rose is here. Sam, welcome back. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, and people, long-time listeners of this podcast know that the first time I ever talked about Mandalorian on this podcast was with you way back in November of 2019. Oh, my God, 2019. If only we can go back to pre-COVID life, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely to go back to that. But, like, last time we were talking about this, we were breaking down Disney+, Plus, the first episode of Mandalorian had come out. We had just seen Baby O enter our lives, and now he's become a cultural icon. Oh, my God. And I'm not going to lie to you. I put up my Christmas tree already because, you know, COVID. And I have one ornament on my tree, and that one ornament is Baby Yoda. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I need to get that Baby Yoda ornament. Where did you get yours from? I got it from Target. It was like $3. I was like, let's go. I'm excited. If it's going to be anything, it's going to be a Baby Yoda tree, and that's what I have. Yeah, that's always good. I have the Lego set, like the the little like head brickheads one of Mando and the child. So I need to build that. Oh, that sounds like fun. I love Legos. Legos are something you never grow out of. No, absolutely not. I have like a stack of like sets that I haven't had a chance to build yet. Like I, there was recently one that just came out. I think they had the Sesame Street house, like of like the first, Ooh. like with the Sesame Street minifigures. So like I'm like I'm like nostalgic. I have to get it. I want to get that too. It's but a little, a little, Legos are expensive. Yeah, well, I I save on other areas of life. I will not get into what they are, but I do make some, I do budget for the Legos. You know what? That's a great thing. I I must not budget correctly if I'm not budgeting for Legos. So I think you're winning this like this life right now. Yeah, once the like maybe Lego Master Season Two, we'll get into more of the Baby Yoda and have a Baby Yoda challenge. That'd be so much fun. Yeah, and we talked about the Mandalorian back then. We were the first on the Baby Yoda craze. You know, he'd be a breakout star. And you've been watching this season so far. What do you think of the season to date? The first four episodes. I mean, I I just really love this season. Uh, excluding, um, I know you're probably gonna put the spoiler thing, but excluding the like the spider things. Um, holy moly, those give me the heebie-jeebies. As much as I sound like a 1950s human being. Um, but I've loved this entire se- like season already, and I don't want it to end. <laughs> yeah, only eight episodes again. But like they're they're I think like Pete and I said a couple weeks back, maybe they had ideas about seven, and then they had to stretch episode two out into the Frog Lady episode. But I think this one was sort of a nice throwback of season one. Oh, it was a really great like throwback, and I feel like I'm super privileged to be your uh, correspondent for this episode. Like I was like. I watched it and you were like, oh, come on or whatever. I'm like, yes, this is great. This is like the best episode so far of the season, possibly, you know, for forever. Just yeah. kidding. I'm just hyping myself <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, for the, yeah, for the audience, like a little bit inside baseball here with the podcast. So like Sam and I were talking off the air. We're trying to figure out what week to do is we started kind of, oh, we'll do week four. And then I'm sitting here watching and we see it's, we're back on Navarro. We have Grief Karga there. We have Cara Doom there. We have Antics with the Child. I'm like, oh, this is a perfect episode. This is probably like what we started with. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it's like, it, and then, like, you kind of feel like, wow, everything's looking so different from when it first began, which I know we're probably going to touch on that very soon. But it's just like, it's really cool to see. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm invested. I'm invested too. I think my personal opinion, I think last week was a little better than this week, but I, I like, I like them all. I think it's like, for me, it's like three, four, one, two. I think I might, is my order. I feel like four the best, not just because I'm on this <laughs> one, 
uh, just <laughs> just for like the throwbacks and everything, but also for like the like little tease at the end as well. They do, and we are gonna go ahead now. We'll go ahead and play the spoiler warning. All right, you've been warned. If you have not watched through Chapter 12, The Siege of the Mandalorian, get out. Go watch the episode on Disney+. Plus. Come back in 40 minutes after you watch and then listen to the rest of this podcast. <laughs> but I will say, definitely fun. And I want to start at the top here because we have this episode, I think, is probably the most Baby Yoda heavy of the season. We start out, like, in the Razor Crest with Mando teaching Baby Yoda how to be an electrician. And somehow he has not <laughs> taught this child what they're seeing the red wire and the blue wire is. Yes, I thought that was so cute and so funny, like, equally. Because, like, you bond with people you're with. And it's just, like, Mando's, like, really bonding with the child. Like, he's becoming, like, Daddy Mando, which I shouldn't say, but I said it, and I went with it. (laughs) Yeah, well, Daddy Mando was not very kind to his kid because he got his kid electrocuted. (laughs) Okay, tell me when you used to help your dad out or whatever... And he's teaching you things and you may mess up. It's just like, it's a learning experience. A little electrical shock to the system is a learning experience. Yeah, I guess. But then again, like, this kid is 50 and he has no idea what the colors red and blue mean. That is true. But they they explained why. So yeah. he's like 50, a.k.a. like five. Yeah. Maybe even two years old. But it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine, and when we still need to get the Razor Crest fixed because we still have the duct tape job that Mon Calamari did the last episode. So we go back to Navarro. Oh, my God. Our very first planet, and it was cool to go back. Yeah, like, like I was saying before, like, I just thought it was so cool. Like, I didn't, honestly, like, I had, I went back to the first season to just, like, review what it, like, looked like, and it had a glow-up. The only glow-up was 2020. Yeah, they they won twenty twenty tomorrow. They've seen they really have conquered the uh, the spirits here because like the first season we see a lot of Navarro. It's basically like a hum for bounty hunters and outlaws and scum villain. Now we come back and it's like a legitimate trading post. It looks like they got like a nice little farmers market going. There's a school. Mm-hmm. It's a much better community. Yeah, it really is, and it's just like they want to keep making the entire planet like good again you know so i thought that was like you know they still have the same mission for the end all be all kind of deal yeah so we go back to there we get grief and car and Kara doing back again and i love grandpa grief how he's so excited to see the child again that was so cool <laughs> it was so awesome but you know me i think i'm hopefully i said it last time but i like Kara's probably like one of my favorite characters of the like series slash the whole franchise because she just is like just a, an ass kicker, basically, and it's awesome. Yeah, and Kara's kicking ass again. Now she is the marshal of the town because, like, sort of like our buddy Cobb Vance back in episode one, she's in charge of keeping law and order in this town. And we do have a fun moment with her. I think they were trying to do their own sort of baby Yoda dynamic with her where they had her making friends with the lemur. Oh, my God, that thing was, like, hella ugly, but also super cute at the same time. And I'm like... I don't get this, but whatever. I'll just let it in there. It was kind of like a fluffer piece. Yeah, it was a little bit of a fluffer piece, and we do find out while they're there. They're going to get the ship prepared, and we drop the ship off, and we need to have a meeting there with the mines. Mando, Kara, and Grief, and their goal here is, obviously, we're cleaning up the planet. There's one more Imperial base we haven't been able to purge. you got a couple hours to kill. Why not help us? So 
Once again, the the, <laughs> the formula of the show sticks up. It's like Manda rolls into town. There's a problem. Now he's going to try and solve the problem. I think this is a good problem to solve. It was a great problem, and it was a problem that they didn't realize how big it was that they destroyed. So they fixed a huge problem. They did, and they also have another person with them, and this is another throwback to the pyro of the series. We get the return of Mithral, the first bounty Mando captures. Now he's trying to work off his debt as Grief's bookkeeper. Oh my god, he's so annoying. Like, yeah. I'm sure like that actor just does a good job because I'm just so annoyed. Yeah. Like, the entire episode where you're just like, dude, why doesn't he just get shot? But yeah. like, then again, it's like two birds shooting and they have no aim. Yeah. But, like, he, oh, he was just so annoying. Before we get back to him, like, do you, what did you think of the joke last week when uh, one of the Mandalorians said that the, stormtroop, that the Stormtroopers couldn't hit the broadside of a speeder and we saw them make, miss everything yeah. last week? Yeah, no, no, no. I thought that was so funny, like, because I feel like that's just, like, a running joke in Star Wars, like, the community, you know? And then them just saying that is, like, perfect. I mean, they also had that, um, uh was it season one where they were just trying to shoot the can and they couldn't shoot it and they were like two feet away or whatever? Yeah, it was something like that. And it, it, yeah, so I feel like they like keep making little jabs at it, but they still don't like learn. Their aim still sucks. Yeah, they absolutely are. And my thrall coming back in, I mean, played by Horatio Signs, a funny comedic actor, and they did a good job as episodes, sort of like subverting your expectation because a lot of times when you bring the bad, the reformed bad guy along with you, they have this theory like, oh. We're waiting for him to turn on them, screw on the first chance he gets, mm-hmm. but he stays loyal the whole time. So good on him. Yeah, right. I like how the, the uh, Greece is just like, oh, I'll take 100 years off your sentence. And he's like, a 300 year sentence. And he's like, I'll add another 30. And I'm just like, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of amusing that they're like dealing in life sentences and, you know, money or anything. Yeah, I just found it interesting that his skill set when he's keeping the books and now all of a sudden he's picking the locks at the Imperial base. It's a curious choice to bring him along. Right, they just knew he could do it, I guess. We'll just leave it with that. Yeah, so before we start this mission, by the way, of destroying the Sith base, we do have to take care of Baby Yoda because we can't bring him along this dangerous mission. Last week, we saw him hang out with the Frog. This week, we see him go to school. That was, like, really, really cute. Oh, my God, it was so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I love this part where they put him in the in the in the seat, and good for them getting the, the kid a little bit of education. And then we had the fun moment where he's sitting next to another child who is eating what I want to call space Oreos. And I like that term. Yeah, so eating a space Oreos, baby Yoda comes over, makes the noise, and is like, "You want to share?" And the kid's like, "Uh uh-uh. uh." And we see basically steal the force, the cookies with the force, and just he took the kid's entire rack of cookies. So my question to you is this. Was Baby Yoda being a bully there by stealing all the cookies? Hell no. In reality, <laughs> he's like, what, mentality, like, too? It's just, like, toddler tantrums. So, of course, he's going to use the Force to get what he wants. Any toddler who had the Jedi ability or the is, used the Jedi way would totally use that. I would use it now as a full-grown adult knowing the, like, circumstances. I would steal cookies from a child, and I don't even, like, you know, regret saying that out loud. <laughs> Even, yeah, speaking of the Arias, I know, did you hear they're making gluten-free Arias next year? Yes, I'm very excited for it. I was like, first off, they're already vegan because there's nothing, like, really real in there anyway. And I'm like, sucks that they're not gluten-free. And then, like, a couple weeks later, gluten-free Oreos. I'm like, perfect. I, like, let it out into the universe. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Oreo guy myself. I love all the flavors. And, like, 
I think right now the ones I have in, in my pantry, I have like the Halloween Oreos, I have caramel coconut Oreos, and I have the USA Olympic Oreos that they rebranded as just American Oreos because the Olympics got postponed. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I haven't had Oreos since 2014. So it's been a while. I'm, very, I'm looking forward to having an Oreo again. Yeah, it will be fun, and Yay Yoda has his Oreos, and I will say the kid who had his Oreos stolen very, very, like, calmly did not try and get all the Oreos back. Yeah, I guess he just he just knew, you know? Yeah. He, he saw the Force being used. He didn't want to have the Force being used against him. Kids are smart. Is, is this the first time we've seen Baby Yoda use the Force this season to get the cookies? Yeah, it definitely was. I was going to totally bring that up, too. That's the first time we saw it because I've been, like, waiting for him to use it. Like, every episode, there's, like, a spot where you're, like, he's going to use it, he's going to use it, and then nothing, and then this is the first time we've seen him use it. I feel like the theme of Baby Yoda this season is basically all about him eating. I feel like we see him eat something every single episode. That's very accurate. Like, the, when he got left with the lizard family, I was so nervous that he's going to eat the rest of those little eggs, and then, like, it's going to be bad news there it's for Baby Yoda. Yeah, although with the with the with the rest of the egg, when he saw the egg hatch, is when he his eyes just popped like, ooh, another baby. He got so excited. He was very cute with that too. Yeah, but then part of me is like, he's just gonna eat it. I don't know. I just had like not positive thoughts for it. Yeah, I also saw. I also forgot to mention this episode early at the top of it when they're eating the broth in the ship, and we see Mando lift his helmet to eat the broth, and Baby Yoda's face like, ooh, what's under there? I haven't seen that before. Yeah, no, it's just, like, that was really interesting because, like, he knows he'll never show his face, but, like, he trusts him enough. Like, you see, like, they're just so, they're so comfortable with each other that he's comfortable enough to eat in front of him. Because before, in the past seasons, he doesn't even eat with anybody just so he can't, because he can't remove his helmet. Yeah, he always eats on independently. I mean, even last week um, when they went to the cafe on Trask and he says, the cable eat. I'm gonna trade information, so he wouldn't eat in front of all those people. He eats in front of Baby Yoda now. Yeah, I'm just curious after his conversation with the, the with the other like quote unquote Mandalorians, if he like realized that his way isn't like the more popular way kind of deal. Like it's a very old way of thinking. You know, I wonder if that had something slightly to do with it. Yeah, and then we get to. But then again, you know, he's comfortable with Yoda or Baby Yoda. Sorry. Yeah, he is, and we'll get to, now. We get to our mission where the four, the little strike force team of Mando, Cara Dune, Grief, and Mithril are gonna basically take down an entire Imperial base. And I thought this part was a lot of fun because I feel like we got to see a lot of different skill sets in action here. Yeah, no, it was just like it just felt like Star Wars, like you know the original three, you know three episodes, not episodes one, two, and three, but it kind of, like kind of felt like a throwback to. The set, you know, the movies that came out in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, it definitely was a throw, a bit of a throwback there, and there was a lot of nostalgia in this episode between the allusions to different movies in the saga. We had another shout out, I think, to some non-canon video games, but like, I want to start out with like the moment when we see the hollow recording of the scientists experimenting on Baby Yoda in season one. We see him talking about mm-hmm. how they're looking, talking about the M count and they're trying you to basically make people. And we see like these clone figures in the background. My question to you is like, I don't know how, like how recently have you seen the s- sequel trilogy? 
Um, it's been a while. Um, but did you, I'm sorry to digress on this, but did you see the tweet of the actor who played the scientist? I did not. What did he say? Um, so I was like, I watched it again. I watched the episode again today. And then all of a sudden, like my Twitter page is like full of like Mandalorian stuff. Um, but I don't want to mispronounce his name, but his name, so I apologize if he ever goes out to hear this. His name's Omid Abtafi. Uh, they said fulfilled a lifelong Star Wars dream. So he tweeted, I remembered, I remember being 10 years old and seeing a hologram for the first time and thinking, cool, I want to be a hologram one day. And it's like, well, the galaxy responded. So like, it's like, I thought that was like so cool. And like, he's been a fan of like Star Wars and you know what I mean? It's just like a nice little like side, like circle complete story. Uh, to this and I thought that was like so cool and I, I know it's super like off top like off topic basically what we were just talking about but I thought that was like super cute and like everyone should know that <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun that was a good throwback to episode 4 with the Princess Leia hologram message my question was more about like did you see the Rise of Skywalker um which which episode is Nine. Is that the movie you're talking yeah. Nine? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. The newer... The, is that the second newest one or the newest one they have? The one that came out in 2019 that Stanko and I absolutely took a dump on because it was horrible on the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, I I've actually just recently watched it uh, when it came on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, were you, what was your take spring? on that? It was okay. You know, um, I was annoyed that with Finn, you know, he talk, it kept shadowing that he was like, he felt the force. You know what I mean? Like, he was like, you know, he had, you know, whatever. Uh, and then nothing happened with it. And then, like, just, like, the how the wrap-up was, like, who Ray was. And it was okay. Um, I would, you know, I wouldn't be one person to, like, take a dump all over it. But I thought it was all right. I, you know, it wasn't my favorite at all. I mean, still episodes, what, four, five, and six are my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I think in terms of that, obviously, go back and listen to this podcast that John Stanko and I did, breaking down the end of episode nine. We had our big issues with that, but one point they touched on a lot was, like, the whole Emperor Palpatine be, basically being a, resurrected as a clone, and that Supreme Leader Snoke was a clone. It looks like here we're getting the background for the creation mm. of, the, of those things. It looks like we saw the floating, like, clone bodies in the background, and it looks like they could be, like, a Snoke prototype. One of the Easter eggs they played this episode was as Snoke's theme was playing in the background of that scene. So uh, they're giving you hints that like Baby Yoda's blood is used to create Snoke. Mm. See, like I heard that they it was clones and stuff. I read somewhere it's just like I don't know that they were trying to like I don't know I don't want to bring it in because I feel like I read it one place and they're a hundred percent wrong. But I didn't know that that was the Snoke theme they were playing. But now that you say it. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just like when you point something out, you're like, oh, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, I think, like, it's going to be controversial because I think, obviously, when this season was filmed and written was, like, before the movie came out and the whole thing got panned. But, like, I hope they're able to find a way to seamlessly tie this in without making us remind us all why we hate Rise of Skywalker again. Yeah. Uh, imagine if it's just, like, an army of Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to rehash nine, but like that was a big plot point. That's a big thing to watch at the rest of the season because obviously they're trying to get the child back to make more clones. And 
based on where yeah. nine ends up, you would think that maybe they succeed at some point. So that's something I want to throw out there as a theory. Mm, that's a good observation. It is a good observation. We do get a lot of fun stuff with like speeder chases. We at one point in this episode, actually, because interesting, you think about it. Mando says, you know what? I'm going to go back ahead uh, and I'll catch up with you guys. He disappears in the episode for about 10 minutes, which is actually pretty nuts considering this is his show. Yeah. He was gone for a majority of that and it like the majority of the fight scene. But then, you know what I mean? It makes it, it's nice to have the ensemble taking like more of the spotlight for one. Yeah, we, he leaves. We don't see him for a little bit. We get basically Grief, Kara, and Mithra are uh, trying to finish off the base and... They plant the bombs. They steal a speeder, and then there we have a fun mm. the, the scene in the in the in the valley there where they're trying to escape on the speeder, and we have grief back in the gun can, basically doing a direct ripoff of like episode four with with <laughs> with when he when Han and Luke were shooting off a Tie Fighter. That that was a uh-huh. fun fun scene, and I do think the nostalgia they got there with. The land speeders, the troopers on the speeder bikes, the TIE fighters. They basically give you, like, every possible sound you could ever remember from Star Wars in this episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the I feel like Ray said it, and then, um, like, um, like you said, like, Luke did, too. Uh, it's, like, it's harder than it looks for when they're trying to, like, destroy the stormtroopers. When they're not, like, getting them and stuff, like, you know, or, you know, it's just, like, funny. Like, it's harder you do it then kind of deal. So, I feel like a couple movies have mentioned that. It's just, like, cute to bring it back up, you know? Yeah, do you have the catch that two of the stormtroopers on the speeder bikes just completely, like, blew themselves up landing in the in the valley? Oh, my God, that was so stupid. <laughs> I, it's just, like, a roll your eyes. just like, ah, oh, stormtroopers, they just suck. Yeah, they absolutely do suck. And then... We do see at one point, it looks like they're about to win. And again, we get another homage to to uh, A New Hope when the Razor Crest comes out of nowhere, completely rebuilt with Baby Yoda in yep. tow. And Mando basically saves the day and destroys all the TIE fighters to save them. I know, but it's just like, that's such classic Star Wars. Like, things aren't looking good. And then all of a sudden, like, the ship comes and it's the relief they need. And yeah. it's just like a basic little, like, their little plot lines over and over again. Yeah, I think Baby Yoda during this part of the episode was fun too, where he you see him when they're doing <laughs> the maneuvers and like Mando does the ship on a crazy spin. You see him throwing his hands up in the air. He's on a roller coaster. That was great. And then he except com- for the ending part. Yeah, 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 it ends and then he just spits up blue like Ar- space Ario cookie goo all over himself, and you know it's just the the next meme that's gonna be like popular for Baby Yoda for the next like five months. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. It, it's just, and then like he goes right back to Daddy Mando mode, and it's yeah. like so cute. Yeah. Yeah. Can we get this kid a change of clothes though? Because I feel like we need to get him, you know, to get his his uh, little robe wandered after that. Hey, we don't know. We don't see behind the scenes. Maybe he just has a bunch of the same little robe thing. Like in the cartoons where they have the like the closet <laughs> with like every yeah. like seventy five <laughs> of the same shirt. Yeah, like Mickey Mouse has the same pants and SpongeBob has the same outfit for forever. Yeah, like another, like, it's kind of similar to, like, how, like, I remember, I don't know how much of a 90s kid you were, but, like, how, like, the Power Ranger like, teenagers always wore some, their color in civilian clothes, always, always like, mm-hmm. a red shirt or, like, a pink shirt. They always wore the exact same color. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah, that... and then that was all the, that was all the Power Rangers yeah. uh, seasons, too. 
Yeah, so like that's that's another point. But one, this is my one plot hole for the episode I want to bring up here too. Man- I'm ready. Mando is gone for about ten minutes. Uh huh. Given the amount of ship damage we saw, and we saw that the Mount Kamara could not fix this thing, and we saw that it took they basically duct tape the whole ship. This whole mm-hmm. sequence takes place in the span of what a couple hours to when they drop him off at the school and when they're in the base. Mm-hmm. They fixed the entire Razor Crest in two hours, and it's better than it's ever been. Yeah, I know. I was thinking <laughs> that too today, and I'm just like, wow, they must have those two guys. I mean, I'm sure there was more, but like how Grief was like, you guys go fix that ship, and it was two guys, and one of them, you know, what I, I'm sure what I'm hinting at the shady one. Um, they fixed that. Like super fast. Hopefully, they just have like an arm, a secret army or something to fix it. Yeah, but even, like they probably just got a new ship. To be honest, they're just yeah. like just bringing the old guys. No, um, no, I totally understand where you're coming from, though, because to me, I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, that was lucky that they fixed the ship in like an hour. Yeah, and we don't, and that base looked pretty far away. So, like, how fast is he flying on his jetpack to get back there, pick up the ship, and pick up the kid, and be back in time to save them? Yeah, I mean, I will give him that, like, the episode last, I felt that, like, that jetpack went super fast when he was jumping off the ship, yep. the Imperial ship last episode, but, no, you definitely have a, a huge point there. Yes, yeah, so but anyways, it's, it's, it's a fun moment, they save the day, we go back to, go back to Navarro, and we do have an interesting, like, moment there when we see our rebel pilot friend back, for, came back from episode two, now he's coming in to check on what's going on, and he has an interesting exchange with Cara Dune on the way out, and it felt like this thing was sort of a setup here. I thought like they want to try and get Cara Dune back in the in the uh, rebellion, the new the new uh, Republic. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I don't know. I just I like her there, but if if we get more Cara time, you know, I'm going to be more for that, to be honest. So I'm cu- I'm curious to see why they took, set that up, such a scene for that. Yeah, I hate to break like to rain on your parade with Karen with uh, Gina Carano here, but like considering some real world developments of her, I'd be sh- I would not be surprised to try and scale her character back a little bit going forward. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently she has said some not nice things about certain uh, demographics of people on the internet. You know, that's really depressing because she just ruined a lovely career of hers. You know what I mean? Her career could have flourished under Kara. And now she's squashed it. Yeah, I would not be surprised if she has a big role the rest of the season and maybe going forward they kind of roll her back a little bit. That would be my hunch with her. Yeah, well, that makes sense if she's not saying nice things. Yeah, she's not saying nice things. And we'll finish up the episode here. You mentioned our, our one of our repairmen's a spy for the Empire Imperial Remnants. They plant a tracker on the Razor Crest. Feels like a convenient plot device that we can have more fights between Mando and the, <laughs> and the Empire the rest of the way. Yeah, it's like, oh, I conveniently put this tracker on the bottom of the ship. Yeah, so you guys can just show up wherever he is, and then we'll just have fights every every week. Yeah. Oh, man. I, they do use the same storyline every season, it feels like, but it's fine. It's still entertaining. Yeah, you brought up an interesting point. I want to ask you about this. Do you think that, like, the formula is a little old at this point, where every week it's like, okay, Mando comes to Planet X... He and the child find a problem. They solve the problem, and they're off to the next planet. Do you think it's getting a little old? Do you think, or you think they're doing enough to keep it fresh? I mean, ugh. I mean, part of me is like, 
because I recognize this, so I must have some issue with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you know the problem, if you see the problem, you know there is a problem. Other part of me is just like, this is just entertaining every week. I'm just here to watch Baby Yoda. So it, I'm like torn between those two because like part of me is like, I know exactly what's going to happen this episode. Part of me is like, but then I don't know if Baby Yoda's going to vomit this episode and I'm going to enjoy that. So it's just like a rough, a rough thing to decide between, if that makes any sense, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to make any, like, claims against The Mandalorian. Like, I don't make a multi-million dollar TV show, but, uh, but I'm sorry. I interrupted you about to say something. No, go. No, that's fine. I was just checking on something about the end of the episode because we do see Moff Gideon there receiving the message, and we see he's on the ship, and we end on him, and they're building some kind of armor in the background. At first glance, I thought this looked very like Darth Vader clone esque, but apparently, this is another mm-hmm. East, another Easter egg linked to that to one of the Star Wars non canon video games about the Death Trooper. Apparently, that's the armor they were referencing there. Oh, really? See, like I never played the Star Wars game, so I feel like. I feel like I'm missing out on such a significant amount of information, you know? Yeah. Like, I barely watched Clone Wars, which I I'm actually want to start very soon. Um, but I thought that, too, and then you see the mask, and it's like, it doesn't look like Vader. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It's like a death... These are, like, death troopers. They were in, like, several of the video games that are, quote-unquote, legends now. They're not canon, but I think they're bringing some stuff in that they like. I think we'll see more of these guys. I would not be shocked if they're the big army we get at the end of the season. That'd be fun. And then I hope Mando just punches the living bejesus out of Moss Gideon because he's hella annoying. He's not even, like, the best villain. He's just an annoying villain. Yeah, John Carlos Fazito does a does. I think he does a good job. He makes you hate him that much. Yeah, I know. I bet you he's, like, one of the nicest people ever to meet, too. Like, that's always what happens. The more annoying and the more, like, angry I am with somebody, I feel like the more, like, the nicest person they are like you know the more nice they are kind of deal that wasn't english but here i am (laughs) yeah that that's basically it for the episode next week we're set up for a very very fun episode this might be one that i've the rumors going on the internet are that this is going to be child the jedi chapter 13 we might be close to an hour and have ahsoka to no debuts there is a chance this that episode five mandalorian recap might be a special bonus episode where it comes out by itself and they feel like it might have a lot of big stuff coming I'm very excited, and it's only Monday, but <laughs> I can't wait. Black, a perfect Black Friday thing. Wake up, order your online guests for people, watch The Mandalorian. Perfect way to recover from your turkey hangover on New Year's on on Thanksgiving Day. Heck yeah, and get that turkey sandwich for all the leftovers. Yeah, absolutely, Sam. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can you follow follow on social media, keep up with some of the stuff you're up to. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um. On Twitter, I'm S-E-E-R-O-S-5, um, but I'm a little more active on Instagram, which is Esterosa175. Um, if you have any uh, issues, you can always direct message me, and I'm sure you can bother Mike if you don't understand my handles, which is totally fine, too, because I always get them wrong. Mike knows that. Mike lives through this. Um, but, yeah, that's where you can find me. You know, just Google Sanderos and just follow whoever the first person's up there. I think that's a fun game. Yeah, and you'll be back on the podcast next week as well. We're going to be doing our NFL picks next week. We're going to talk about our miserable football teams. 
Oh yeah, yeah, gotta love it. It must be the it must be the letter J. It must curse a good football team. Yeah, our teams are combined one and nineteen this season, so that's not been a good year for us. I don't know. There's a number one before it's not zero, so there you are. <laughs> yeah, my my guys got the zero. My guys got the zero. <laughs> yeah, I know. We got the one the first week of football. Like that's when the Jags got the win, so they just suck. Yeah, I also want to thank our other guests for this week. Zach Brazilla from the New York Post talked college basketball. Our good friend Joe D'Alvizio did the NFL picks. I also wrote a blog post this week, Sam, about the, what the Mets should do with Robinson Cano's money that they get back after the steroid suspension. Did you, did you get a chance to check it out yet? Oh, I can't wait to I can't wait to read that one. Yeah, you can check it out on the blog over justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify, Amazon, too, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all episodes there. YouTube as well. Mike Phillips on YouTube. Our conversations, we wanted the ep- conversations on the podcast going up on my YouTube channel shortly. That's exciting. I can't wait. It will be a lot of fun. And, and people are checking out the YouTube channel. I put up Pete's conversation about Frog Ladies episode. We did get a decent number of hits. Oh, that's so exciting. Gotta love Pete. Pete's one of the best people. Yeah, we might be hearing from Pete again on the Mandalorian before the end of the season. That's a tease, folks. Oh, man, you guys, you give your uh, listeners such good insider information, Mike. <laughs> yeah, we do. You can also leave your feedback and star rating as well. It makes this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter if you have questions about Sam Tandles or I have a conversation about what's going on in this episode. You can follow me there, mphillips331. Try to get up to that 300 follower mark. So if you guys could hop on and follow the train, that'd be great. And that will do it for the episode. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to do our Mets offseason preview. We're going to do the NFL picks with Sam. We're going to have some more fun. I'll tell you, I'll be a better week than the Ravens fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.